As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I am your host. Today's episode, we focus the conversation around personal finance. Yay, right? I know some of you guys might be like, ugh, I don't really like to talk about it. But what I love about this conversation is I am talking to a fellow female who also happens to be the co-founder and CMO of the digital banking app Navit, which we do dive into. But a lot of what we talk about is just the habits and how we can improve our habits around personal finance and just simplifying it. I feel like over the years, as I have observed why people avoid looking at their finances and talking about it, I personally believe a big part of it is because sometimes it seems complicated but it's actually really simple. And if we can be exposed to conversations or tools like Navit, like just like an app or something that really helps make it click for us, I feel like that's when we can become interested. And if you are a recent college grad or if you're just in your 20s in general, I have always said, especially in that episode I did a long time ago about what I would tell my younger self if I was just graduating right now, the number one priority would be around personal finance. And the main reason is because I notice a lot of people feeling a little lost around personal finance when you first graduate. I know it's very intimidating. And on top of that, you probably have your parents giving you some crap about like getting a job and being able to learn how to pay bills and things like that. And I know it can be a really difficult transition. In fact, one of my close friends who is a recent college grad is finally kind of seeing all the stresses that can come with the transition. And that's why I emphasize on A, learning about it sooner than later. So if you are in college right now, this is a great time just to expose yourself to understanding the small habits that you can build right now so that you can feel more comfortable with money and finances later on. So a little bit more about Maya, as I mentioned, she is the co-founder and CMO of Navit, and she's dedicated to creating a more empowered and financially literate society. By taking the fear out of finances, Navit seeks to change the narrative around money to be gender inclusive, positive, and practical. Maya is devoted to closing wealth gaps perpetuated by a system not built for most of America and believes financial well-being is integral to creating a healthier and more equitable society. Through her work as a founding team member at Bridge Athletic, a performance technology using prescriptive AI for fitness coaching, training, and reporting, Maya saw firsthand the detrimental effects poor financial and mental health could have on one's physical performance. Founded in 2018, Navit provides personalized financial coaching to create lasting behavioral change around financial habits. Through daily check-ins, insights, and community conversations, empower users to live financially well. So again, I think this episode is extremely valuable for everyone across the board, whether you're still in school or whether you are already working a full-time job, whatever the case may be. I personally believe that knowledge is power and the more that we can apply that knowledge into our own life to improve our mental health and of course in this case 
our financial health, which does impact our overall health, I think that's where we can start to improve all different areas of our life. All right, so with that being said, let's welcome Maya to the podcast. Well, Maya, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited, as I mentioned, to chat all things personal finance and more about the app, Navit. And I think we should just start there. I know you are the co-founder and the chief growth officer. Is that correct? Yes. I would say like COO, CPO, like any other title that you mm-hmm. want to give me is also fun because <laughs> I do Amazing. it Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I would love to dive into it. Can you share the story behind building this app? I'm fascinated. And by the way, I have to say, I love the branding. It's so modern and I'm, I'm in very into branding. So I'll, I'll let you dive into it, but I think it's so chic. (laughs) Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, I am also a marketer by trade. So like anytime somebody appreciates a good brand, um, my heart is warmed. Um, (laughs) I, yeah, the, the story of Navit is, is complex as I feel like every founder journey is. Um, we got started, my co-founder and I, Erin Papworth, met in 2019. She's a behavioral scientist. Um, so she spent over a decade in uh, different parts of the African region focused on how to get the most marginalized people into better means of economic prosperity. So effectively, she was working on like changing behaviors within these very small insulated communities to try and effectively get women into the economy so that they could bring in a dual income into their household. So um, she came back in um, 2017 and she came back to the US. She moved to her now hometown, Seattle, and, you know, on the doorsteps of Amazon realized that there was probably a compelling way to bring to market a tech solution that effectively applied her same behavior-based strategies that she was deploying kind of one-on-one in person. Mm. So she started to like tinker around with, you know, what did that look like? This was like the early days of what I would say generation one of consumer finance technology, fintech, Mm. um, really looked like. So it was like your basic budget aggregator. It was, you know, we were all Mm. kind of starting to set up our online accounts with our banks. Users were really just starting to feel comfortable with online banking. So she started to kind of evaluate the scene, figure out where the biggest gaps were in our own country um, to kind of start here in the U.S. And she found, of course, that the cohort of um, young, like millennial women were the least among the least serviced um, from the traditional banking and financial services industry. Mm. Shocker. (laughs) Uh, Right. I mean, we just haven't created an an environment where it's safe to talk about money, to explore personal financial management, to enjoy the journey. Right. Um, And we've seen that enjoyment, uh, that kind of behavioral shift into joy and enjoyment in other areas, right? I mean, if this was the 1950s, we would recognize that, you know, like the Jane Fonda kind of workout routines were not yet on the scene and people didn't really enjoy exercising, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't really enjoy or even understand good nutritional habits. That happened over time. That was behavioral shift over time, but it wasn't necessarily a welcome conversation in that point in time. Fast forward to you know the early 2000s and certainly where we are today, we're kind of seeing the same thing with finance, right? We've evolved our nutritional habits. We've evolved our ability to understand you know what living a healthy life, a physical healthy life is, a nutritional healthy life is. But we at Navit recognize and, and the broader community recognize that financial stress makes up for 54% of all chronic stress that leads to bad healthcare outcomes. Mm. So it's like, we've figured out all this middle health, um, all these middle health routines, but we haven't necessarily really hunkered down to change our patterns and our behaviors around this huge topic of financial health that um, has really been undervalued over time. So that's the long and the short of like the concept of Navit was born. I came into the picture in 2019 when I partnered with Aaron. I was actually coming from fitness technology. So mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, I'm a marketer by trade. Uh, I'm also an athlete by passion, um, fell into marketing through sports marketing, um, ended up moving from London to the Bay Area. Um, mm-hmm. 
in 2016 to uh, be one of the founding members of a company called Bridge Athletic. We were one of the first to bring to market a way to basically take predictive analytics and prescribe better outcomes digitally to athletes. Mm. We were also from the tech side of Aaron's kind of concept that was forming in Seattle on the tech side down in San Francisco. We were starting to figure out, okay, you can coach better outcomes automatically based on human behavior, based on what athletes were telling us their sleep patterns were, their nutritional habits were, like all these other factors that were happening outside of the gym space. Um, and so when Erin and I partnered and she told me that like what she wanted to build, mm-hmm. a set, essentially democratizing access to financial coaching, because we know financial coaching is one of the best ways to reduce financial stress and improve mm-hmm. financial behavior in the long term. Um, it felt like an obvious, an obvious switch um, to join her and build out this technology. So that is a very long winded answer, uh, but I told you it was, it was a bit complex. So (laughs) (laughs) I I totally get it. You know, with tech nowadays, I feel like everything comes together in a simple, but also complex way. You know, when you, when, when you bring it to the end consumer, they, I would assume kind of get it in the most simplest way, but get getting it from A to B is a lot. There's a lot of things that happen in between. So, you know, I can imagine it's been quite a process. Yes. And going to market with a financial technology, effectively the same month we all learned the term COVID was really Mm. fascinating. (laughs) So it's definitely been a journey. We proved very quickly that we were a recession-proof business, which is good uh, for all of our investors involved. Um, But I, yeah, it's been really hard. And I think um, we finally are at a place where the consumer and we're now selling like through an employee benefits um, package Mm. as well, like both the end consumer, like you and I, as well as our Mm -hmm. employers are recognizing that financial health mm-hmm. is the key to unlocking better quality of life outcomes. So we're yeah. kind of, thanks to COVID and thanks mm-hmm. to this crazy macro environment that we're all living um, living in, we're yeah. starting to really be able to embrace how our stress impacts our daily uh, spending behavior, savings patterns, mm-hmm. and ways in which we like to grow wealth. So yeah. And like I mentioned to you earlier, I'm a huge advocate on understanding personal finance and your and your financial health, because that was actually something I recently shared on a different podcast episode around, you know, if I was graduating college right now, which was for me only three years ago, what is my biggest tip? And it actually is around personal finance, which is understanding, you know, what a, what a 401k is at the very least, right? At least like understanding what it is, what it does for you and what compound interest is, because I know for a fact that so many people at the age of 22 and 23, as they should, they, they want to enjoy life. And they're also stressed about transitioning into the adult world and working and having a full-time job. But then mm-hmm. In my eyes and my and from what I've, I've observed, it's it's the if you don't put in the work now to learn and understand to kind of build your financial health and wealth over time in the early days, you will you will find the struggle later on, which is kind of what I, I feel like is the common ground where most people start to go, oh, my gosh, look at all this that I accumulated around like late 20s, early 30s, and they're starting to kind of reap the the bad dividends so to speak at that time because they kind of didn't pay attention early on right completely and I think one component well there's so many components to that so yes I could agree more and I think that one area that we definitely need to figure out as like a society how to better support recent grads like Mm -hmm. kind of folks that are coming into their first jobs Now with the proliferation of tech and all of these different opportunities to, you know, go work for private, private companies, the benefit structures, even a public company, publicly traded companies, Mm -hmm. like the benefit structures are so complex in and Mm -hmm. of itself because employers are so focused on retaining and acquiring top talent. Like if you are looking at a comp package and you're evaluating maybe say two of them across two different, you know, job um, proposals. I, I think it's really, really hard to dive into those packages and really understand, okay, what's going to set me up 
for the greatest success right now, right? Like, because it's yeah. also now beyond a 401k, yeah. you know, like you could have a 401k matching plan and that's definitely an awesome barrier to, uh, to clear for an employer to retain talent. But there's also all of these additional um, kind of benefits, perks and lifestyle perks yes. that employers are now offering. And I think it's unfortunately is too much of a burden on the new hiree to understand, okay, which one should I opt into? Which one should I not? Like what's going to pertain to me and my financial situation right now? And then what should I like somehow remember in 10 years time, if I'm still here when I have like a dependent or I have a Mm -hmm. spouse or whatever it might look like. Um, So that's also where we've found uh, we launched earlier this year our kind of entrance into that space, and we're, we're calling it Navit at Work because we found that Navit can also be a resource for those employees who are just trying to understand what benefits they should be asking their employer about at that point in time um, yeah. on their financial journey. So it's just a whole complex array of financial situations that have, unfortunately yeah. we don't teach in college, right? Like 4%. Yeah of U.S. high schools have elective personal financial management courses. Mm. And the reason when you dig into that of why it's only 4% is because those um, institutions, those schools cannot find teachers to teach personal financial management. Mm. The teachers don't feel confident enough teaching the students, right? I mean, that's like, what kind of world have we built if that's Mm -hmm. the case? Because it's really not hard. Right. I, I could not agree more. And so I'm really curious, can simplify in the best way possible. What does Navit do? And so let's say someone that downloads it right now, is it free to use or is there like a premium option? What are the basic, I guess, needs that it really, that you've noticed that it really uh, hits the bucket for, for someone like maybe let's say it's 25 years old, wanting to dive more into their personal finance and their financial health. What does this app do? You guys, I've been drinking Magic Mind for months now, and I have to say, it's freaking gold. I mean, it literally tastes so good that I sometimes drink it twice a day, which, by the way, nothing wrong with doing so, but they do recommend only one a day. So that goes to show how much I do really love this stuff, and I did drink one before starting my workday today. So why I love Magic Mind so much is because it actually makes me feel really calm and focused and it's also that perfect push that gets me into my flow state, which is what it's meant to do. And I'll share a few key facts and ingredients in this product. So it is known to increase and improve productivity. It has very little caffeine and it only comes from matcha tea. It's a great alternative for coffee. If you drink coffee for energy and focus, I personally don't. I like to drink Magic Mind with my coffee or just after because the morning coffee and just making coffee, like I just don't want to give that up. It also helps fight off fatigue and brain fog as well as some ADD symptoms. And the best part, it is all natural ingredients, including adaptogens, matcha, and nootropics. If you've been thinking about it for a while, I highly recommend you give this a try. It comes in a box of 15, and it's definitely the perfect amount for the month. And even better, you can enjoy 20% off your purchase with the code FULFILL at magicmind.co slash fulfill during checkout. That's fulfill, F-U-L-F-I-L-L at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Enjoy. Yeah, so I like to describe the app as like imagine Duolingo and like your favorite fitness app combined and created a financial app. Um, so effectively what we're doing, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is where we say we're democratizing access to financial coaching. Um, but really what that means is we're creating a way you know, through AI and some pretty complex modeling to understand, okay, where are you, Maya, right now in your financial journey? And what are some of the things we're going to coach you around automatically, right? So as to say, okay, I am a recent grad and I'm evaluating a couple of different employers, or I'm looking to beef out my benefits package, or I'm kind of interested in life insurance, or I need to set up an emergency fund. That's probably the easiest one. I need to set up an emergency. What do I do? So you can automatically save for any kind of savings goal directly in the Navit app. So we actually have our own host savings account. We'll automatically move you know, money every day, every week, every month based on your variables into that account. 
Um, but the cool thing I think that Navit does incredibly differently is we focus on improving your daily habits, recognizing that your money, like not all of us check our balance statements every day, right? Like your money's not moving, hopefully that significantly every single day. Yeah. So part of the barrier to improving financial health is we don't have a mechanism until now, but we haven't had a mechanism to improve those behaviors, like practice that practice strengthening our financial muscle every day, right? Mm -hmm. Just like we do our nutritional habits and routines, just like we do our fitness habits and routines. So how do we create a different experience that changes our perception of how capable we are of managing money? So we've created this kind of, again, like a Duolingo system where you can come in and you can check, you know, go through your last 48 hours of expenses. You can tell us how financially stressed you are. We can coach you around like some of the variables that might be impacting that stress. You can go in and read um, like bite-sized sessions, right? All of those things. We're about to launch this really cool new feature set um, that will start to kind of reward you for every like intermediate action you take in the app that's not always predicated on creating another budget or doing some of the things that like you kind of know you have to do, but they're not that fun. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to, by making as our head of product, by making finance fun as our head yeah. of product does, like that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, we're really helping to improve your financial behaviors, which mm -hmm. over time improves, we know, reduces your financial stress and improves your financial confidence. Mm -hmm. And financial confidence or financial capability is all about your perceived ability to overcome financial obstacles throughout your life. Mm -hmm. Because if there's one thing that's constant in your life, it's like your physical body, like you're, mm -hmm. you're stuck with your body, right? Mm -hmm. And you're stuck with your finances. Everything else is variable change. So how do you kind of improve those two aspects to really improve your total like health? Right. And you spoke about that earlier too, how your financial wellness has a huge impact on your overall health. And like I said, I agree with that completely because, you know, I think that I think finance always ends up being one of the biggest stressors in your personal daily life, whether, you know, sometimes that limits you to go out with friends to do certain things or to buy certain items that you want for yourself, as well as like relationships too, right? Like the long term of a romantic relationship, you end up diving into finance like does this person match your spending habits or do you kind of complement one another I mean those are things that I pay attention to when I'm you know dating and and when it gets to a long-term point and so what are your tips around that like or maybe let's backtrack it in why do you think that so many people neglect that in the first place uh, unlike other areas of our health um, I think so many people neglect it, honestly, unintentionally. So, um, mm -hmm. I think again, we live in a society where it is taboo to talk about money. Mm -hmm. Um, the only area in which we're allowed to talk about money is in the kind of area of, of financial management that surrounds wealth generation. Mm -hmm. So we're not supposed to be telling our friends how much we make, right. but we are supposed to be engaging. I mean, like so many air quotes, we're supposed to be engaging in conversations around our investment strategy. Right. Cause that makes us yeah. seem like sexy, cool, and, <laughs> that right. Like that's, that's kind of the thing, but yeah. God forbid we talk about our strategies for debt management. Mm -hmm. And I think because, you know, we're, we've been so, um, muted in talking about daily financial management in, you know, in the boardroom and the classroom and the bedroom, we are honestly like paralyzed by that in inability, right? We're, um, we're kind of society tells us that we have to go figure it out on our own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can't learn from other, other people's mistakes. We have to just like go forward and figure it out. And, you know, you're 20% more, you're sorry, no, you're two times more likely to, um, to achieve financial goals when you talk to your peers about mm. your finances, right? Like mm. we know, we know that you are more 
likely to improve your financial habits when you have these conversations, because mm-hmm. if all of us are navigating finances differently, then all of us can share in on those experiences, right? Just like we would our nutritional plan or a physical fitness plan, right? Like how many times do I have girlfriends that call me, mostly it's girlfriends, sometimes it's my husband, that call me and they're like, you know, Maya, I need a new gym routine. Can you tell me what to do? Like, that's my past experience. That's, that's, what I help them sometimes do. Um, but it probably took now been again, since 2019, it's probably been like this past year where my girlfriends finally started calling me saying like, Hey, I've gotten into some credit card debt. What the hell do I do? Mm. Knowing that I'm in financial management, I have a whole team of financial coaches, like human coaches that I can give to them as well. Um, I think that there's just, we, we become paralyzed in our fear of showing kind of the most raw parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that that then translates into your relationships. We know that money is the biggest, um, reason why people get divorced, right? Money and children are right Right. Um, those two topics. And I think, you know, we also know that one in four women in our country, one in 10 men are victims of intimate partner violence. 90% of victims are financially abused. Like Mm -hmm. by not having these open, honest conversations with the most important people in our lives, we're effectively shutting them off from the things that might be the biggest inhibitor to our own personal growth and success. Right. And I think that that, unfortunately, by not having those conversations also creates a power dynamic that can become, unfortunately, incredibly unhealthy and unstable, unstabilizing to a relationship. Um, Whomever seems to have like the job that illustrates they have more financial acumen than the Mm -hmm. other, you know, person and partner. Um, that's typically the person that takes over daily financial management, especially if you're in a situation where you're combining your finances or you're living together and this becomes your financial partner, that cannot be the case. There cannot be an unequal division of power when it comes to something that is effectively dictating how much power you have Mm -hmm. in the world. Right. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I hate to say, I always say that like my biggest mission in life is to never have another woman tell me that her husband or her spat, her partner manages her finances because I just, mm-hmm. you know, that's our mother's generation. I just yeah. I hate when I hear that. Yeah. Um, and we know that when more money is in the hands of more women, communities thrive. Women are 90% more likely than men to reinvest in their community, even Mm with 90% less capital to invest. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what else we need to be telling ourselves, um, but to get, to get better educated. It, It was interesting how I took my approach into wanting to learn more about personal finance, because that was kind of that realization I had when I was younger, which is, which is very much that, you know, you want to be as well-rounded as possible. And part of that as a woman includes knowing your own personal finance, being able to bring in, you, you know, your own income and also knowing how to spend it and save it wisely. And I think that is something that, um, you know, again, like you said, from our mother's generation, it's just a lot of people kind of still at the time adapted to this idea of like, oh, you know, like it, that's not my territory. You know, I can, I can give that to someone else or maybe like it, it again. And there, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but sometimes some women are like, like scared, like they, they, they're not like smart enough to handle that stuff. And like you said, I do think it's very, it's more simple than uh, we make it out to be. I, I do think it's actually very much just stepping into that area of going, Hey, you know what, let me give this a try. Let me, let me right. learn about this because I think women were very intuitive and we have a lot, a lot of strong traits. And I think finance and numbers, and, and that was actually one of the reasons why I was not, I was not great at math. I was not like the top person, you know, I was very like, uh, oh, it's not my zone. But the moment I was like, I think I can build that skill though. I think I can balance my intuitive, you know, nurturing side with my rational logic reasoning side. And I think when you realize you can actually transform that even if you were not not naturally that which is someone like myself um Mm -hmm. you can start to see how powerful that is because that that to me that's why i always tell women listening to this if you're just coming out of school 
pay attention to those numbers because I think the biggest one is you get into credit card debt and then you go, oh no, how do I reverse that, right? And I don't know about you, but and maybe you have the numbers on this. You mentioned the chronic stress from financial, you know, lack of financial well-being. Um, is that primarily from debt or is that from other things? Uh, financial stress can be, you know, it can, it, it can also vary on like your, um, propensity for like anxiety or being induced by, you know, anxiety. So it's not necessarily predicated on one financial situation. I will say that high interest credit card debt is definitely one of the most compounding factors because, mm-hmm. uh, back to power, right? Like, um, Fortunately or unfortunately, money equates to power. We live in a capitalistic society. This is the situation that we're in. And when you, we also live in a society that values you based on your ability to pay for more and more expensive Mm -hmm. uh, things, right? That is the credit system. So if you have penalties on your credit score and you, you know, your credit score declines over time because you're not able to meet um, your credit card, really your credit, um, payments on time, Mm -hmm. you effectively have lost power in our society because you will be, you know, you'll have a bigger hurdle to clear, um, when you are considering, you know, um, getting, um, a mortgage on, you know, your first starter home, right. Um, a lot of employers look at credit score, Mm. um, they shouldn't, but they do. Um, unfortunately the credit system has been predicated on, again, our perceived understanding of what a competent financial consumer looks like Mm. and how able they will be to, again, repay, um, on both the principal and on interest payments. So Mm. I think that it's a huge stressor. I think that our, and you're younger than me, so I think the Z's and the millennials have, a lot of other barriers that previous generations didn't have um, mm-hmm. because we're living in a crazy time of inflation. Mm-hmm. We're living across really fascinating, like a few different fascinating housing crises mm-hmm. um, that have effectively inhibited our ability to accrue wealth in the most traditional form in our, again, in our country, mm-hmm. which is to buy a home. Like most Americans wealth and net worth happens and and elevates when they buy their own home. Mm. Um, But if our generations are unable to do that, what does that mean for us moving into our later years of life, right? Like we also no longer have pensions, um, a kind of stable foundation for retirement is no longer secured for these two generations. So I think all of those components and then adding on the very real um, propensity that we all have to day trade and, and, you know, there's so many different ways in which you can now grow wealth in non-traditional vehicles like purchasing a home because that's now been basically guarded off to most of us. Right. I think all of these like higher risk variables that again, previous generations didn't have, have compounded our stress, Mm. making us a, maybe more aware that stress is inhibiting our success, Mm. but also I think more paralyzed in fear of never being able to mitigate and reduce that stress that is leading to crazy chronic health outcomes that makes your life more expensive for you. And I feel like this is also where I get on the like speaking box of everything is doom and gloom. It's not doom and gloom, but it's all to say, it's all to say that the sooner you can, just like you're saying, the sooner you can understand these different financial levers in your life mm-hmm. and understand the more predatory practices that exist and that are out there, the better you will be to set up a foundation of mitigating that financial stress over time. We all have stress. Like yeah. I have financial stress every day. I'm, I have a high propensity for anxiety, <laughs> but um, I think, I think that the, it all starts with recognizing that, you know, your financial capability is not predicated 
on your current situation. Your financial capability is predicated on how willing you are to change your financial situation. Mm -hmm. From what you have observed, what would you say are the top two common mistakes that let's just maybe say millennial generation, um, or even, yeah, we'll say like millennial and Gen Z, might as well blend them. Um, Yeah, what what would you say are the top two common mistakes you're seeing or from like your research or maybe from financial coaches that you work with that are kind of observing that also help tailor the Mm -hmm. Navit app uh, to help them? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. High interest credit card debt is huge. Um, it, it depends on your, I guess, your where you're coming from in that situation. A lot of the, we call our customers navigators. A lot of the navigators on our app um, are coming from some kind of um, associate's degree or bachelor's degree, like some kind of campus environment where a lot of them were effectively preyed upon by credit card companies, mm-hmm. right? here's a free t-shirt and a donut, sign up for our credit card and you'll get, you know, a credit line of a thousand bucks or whatever it is. And of course, nobody is telling them, certainly nobody at JP Morgan Chase is telling them that they have to pay more than the minimum. They in fact have to pay the total balance. Oh my gosh. And unfortunately it's kind of like, We've never had more access to education, to you know, topical information online and through financial creators on TikTok and all these different things. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, people are still swayed by free money. <laughs> you know, and and again, it's back to marketing. Um, we are the second financial services is the second most regulated industry in our country next to healthcare. However, good marketing continues to persist in our country, allowing things like not just starter credit cards to, again, practice pretty predatory um, narratives to young earners. The second component that I think is most detrimental is right now is buy now, pay later. That probably feeds into high interest credit card debt, but buy now, pay later, I think is the most atrocious marketing scheme of the last decade. Like I'm sure there are some others that will rival, but at least in my mind right now, I really, really, really despise them because effectively what it's telling users and consumers are, is that you can buy more, Mm -hmm. right? You don't have to budget for things. You can just buy more, ensure that you're still meeting your monthly budget because you're only paying a fraction of the total cost. But that also, it's effectively debt. You're also then paying for that one Peloton for like 15 months or something, right? Rather than setting cash aside every month and then rewarding yourself with that bucket of cash for your Peloton. Um, And then, so those I think are like one A and one B. (laughs) And then the second answer I would say is honestly retail trading. Um, You know, day trading is... I know some really, really, really capable, competent day traders. It's their full-time job. Mm-hmm. But this false narrative that everybody can be a retail investor and you know it's effectively like passive income is not the case. Mm-hmm. If you're going to really aggressively, if you really want to aggressively make money in day trading, it has to be your full-time job because there's so many variables within the eight-hour, six-hour trading day that can impact 
your net sum by the end of that day. Mm -hmm. And that's the second, I think, biggest mistake we see navigators coming in with of them saying, I've lost $5,000 in one day on Robinhood. Mm -hmm. And I'm now in high interest credit card debt because I couldn't pay, you know, because I couldn't pay the total balance on my credit card because I'm in the, because I lost all this money. And now I'm a horrible, I know I'm a horrible investor and I never want to invest capital again. And so effectively we, because we've, you know, democratized access to all of these different things, which again, by and large is great because we can't do things like buy our own homes anymore. We've failed to help protect financial consumers, especially young financial consumers, really understand the choices they're making and the long-term outputs of those choices. And so most of the time, our financial coaches on Navit and the system in general is effectively coming in to say, okay, what bleeding do we have to stop right now? And how do we then get you onto a new phase of your confidence level to say, you are not a bad investor. Like just because you lost $5,000 on Robinhood, does that mean you're a bad investor? It means that you had like a busy, fabulous life and you don't want to be a fucking day trader. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that that's the, those are the biggest components and inhibitors to success for young people in our country right now, because mm-hmm. there's so much opportunity for failure as mm-hmm. much as there is for success. And I would argue that the the social media world and all the technology that comes with it attributes to part of that big downfall and big success because a lot of people my age I'm seeing they're learning from a lot of people online and learning from these videos they're making and you know not fact checking it or not really seeing other people that have done it that are 30, 40 years beyond them, like the the people that have really have a long history of actual success in investing, seeing if that actually matches up because, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is like, it's, it's great if one person can do it, but can you fact check how they did it and the actual success rate of doing some of these things, right? Or even same thing. It's like, if you don't you know, hear from, you know, if I ever did the buy now, pay later thing, my parents would kill me. They'd be like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, as much as I want, whatever that is, you know, I think you have to deploy discipline and also remove your ego from that desire of wanting that item. Because again, it's not like you can't get it at some point eventually. I think it's just that, um, again, I keep saying my generation, but it's, it's fun to observe, but also like be part of it where I feel like so many people want that instant gratification. It hits me a lot sometimes Mm -hmm. as well, but then like reminding myself the, the, I guess the consequences, like such Mm -hmm. as like, okay, if you can't pay that off, like you're going to be in debt and then it's going to be this interest rate or all these different things. And so um, it's interesting to kind of like hear from you seeing like, okay, what are these common mistakes? Because, you know, I'm I'm seeing them as well. When it comes to financial literacy Mm -hmm. and especially for women, because that is the audience of this show, what would you say are one to two action steps someone that's listening, they can take after listening to this episode that can help them get towards and even like get interested and stay interested mm-hmm. in understanding better habits for themselves in, um, yeah, just having better overall financial well-being. Totally. Well, selfishly, I would say you should go download Navit. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but in, in all seriousness, I think it's really hard, um, it's really hard to create a habit. It's really hard to create, especially when you feel like you're never making enough or you're spending too much all the time. It's really hard to create a habit around like mm-hmm. logging into your online bank account and just seeing where that's money, that money is going every month. And so like one of my favorite features on the app is this, we call it transaction swipes. And it's effectively just like a snippet in time because it's the last 24 to 48 hours of your transactions rather than your whole month. So it's effectively like maybe six transactions, right? And you're like, oh yeah, like I I had to pay for that school book. Great. Um, Or, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have paid for the like Instagram travel size thing that I just paid for, you know, like that didn't make me feel great. But the point of it is like setting an intention to be more reflective on the decisions you're making every single day, Mm -hmm. because there's no better illustration of your decision-making than looking at your finances 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. That is who you are as a human being, just like who we are as human beings are what we put into our bodies every day or mm-hmm. what activities we do to de-stress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the biggest shift you can make is to dedicate yourself to the, the recognition that financial health has to be a key component of your total holistic healthcare routine. Mm-hmm. If you do that, then hopefully you'll get to a point where you feel more ease and more capable of diving into financial health routines, right? So whether or not that's doing what I just said and like just taking the last 24 um, hours of your transaction history and just saying like, yes, I liked it, wanted to do that. I feel good about it or I'm going to try and do better next time. Or I feel totally neutral because it's a utility bill. Um, I also think that I tell all, a lot of young women this, I think that we do have, aside from personal financial management, we do have um, an aversion to the like scarier topic, like investing content. Women are underinvested, but when we do invest, we are better investors. We outperform men. Mm. Like going into investment literature and literacy content, understanding that should help immediately encourage you to embrace the conversation, learn a little bit about it. The best way I think to do that, as awful as it might sound, I promise it can be entertaining, is to like listen to CNBC in the morning. Like on your way to work, like if you have a serious XM app or like wherever, you, you know, maybe you read it. I think listening to it is really helpful. Mm-hmm. It is probably the fastest way I know how to basically get exposure, like back to Duolingo. Duolingo has been so effective in, in teaching langu- new languages to people mm-hmm. who hate learning languages yeah. because they've made it fun. So they've changed your perception around your capacity to learn a new language mm-hmm. and it's like exposure therapy. They're giving you all these different ways in which you can expose yourself to this content. And I do think that, you know, maybe you read an article every single day from like the financial times or the wall street journal or something. Mm -hmm. And you listen because all of us are more than capable of understanding the micro and macro economy and the levers to which the economy bends and, you know, goes up and down. Um, we are also more than capable of understanding how the stock market works because oftentimes the stock market is not the larger economy. And I think we get really um, bogged down in one or the other. So I think it's really important to listen to some of these media resources to understand like what's going on in big tech right now? Why is my like new M1 processing Apple computer way more expensive? Like Mm -hmm. starting to understand how the economy is working and how companies that are effectively the biggest drivers of the economy are operating, Mm. I think is probably the most fun way to think about how you want to grow your wealth. I love that. And like I said earlier, you know, I, I'm a huge proponent of just, just understanding. And I do think that knowledge is power, especially when you can apply that knowledge. And I think just the first step is being exposed to it, just like language, you know, hearing the first few words, hearing the alphabet and learning how to pronounce things. I think um, it's just, I think it's when you hear people encourage you to try it. I think that's where like the momentum starts. Totally. And I think, you know, I I definitely got down on day traders and retail investment. (laughs) You think that there's an opportunity, especially for women. We're gatherers. We like to have conversations. We love book clubs. We love things yeah. like that. Like, why not have a stock club, right? Where like right. you and 10 of your friends come together every month and you like talk about what stocks you're excited about. We are actively engaged in these companies and in these in this economy. This should be a fun conversation to have right? Of like, what do you want to back? What do you not want to back? Especially in like the context of ESG investing right now. And, you know, you we're we've never had more power as the consumer to help dictate outcomes of a company. And therefore some of the biggest companies in the world, basically dictating the outcomes of how they influence things like the female economy, right? Like things like how women experience the workforce, like, as investors in these companies, we are stakeholders. We have 
the right to proxy vote. We have the ability to sway the the power, you know, the powers that be. Okay. Last few questions that are non-financial related. Yeah. Uh, first one, a book recommendation that you have that you have found really transformative in your life and that you think would be helpful for women. And I guess it can be financial related too. This can be a finance book if you want for it. Um, any book or maybe one or two books that come to mind? You know, I've recently, I always... I feel like my book recommendations change like every given month because I read a lot, (laughs) but um, Kim Scott's Radical Candor. I recently Mm. read that a few months ago. And I think if you are a young woman entering the workforce, figuring out, you know, what your career path looks like, how you want to be a leader in that career, this is probably the most like foundational, clear, amazing book. because she she really dives into how women are perceived in business and how mm. we have to overcome those power dynamics and like to really come into our own power positions mm. um, and and to not be afraid of being practicing radical candor. Like she has yeah. this whole mantra. She grew up in the big tech world and um, had then like went into HR. She's just incredibly reputable. Uh, and she's worked with a ton of different male and female leaders and mm-hmm. has a strong outlook on how you should bring confidence with you and in, into these conversations. Mm, I like that. And we will definitely feature that in the Instagram story highlight that we have. It's book recs from our guests. Advice that got you through early to mid twenties in your life. And this could be any area. So it could be your career. It could also be romantic relationship, friendships, anything that you really feel like you maybe wish you knew when you were in your twenties. Well, I'm 29. So I'm like, not, I'm not, not in my twenties. <laughs> yeah, early mid twenties. <laughs> somebody, somebody recently thought I was 40. So I feel like I really need to like, oh my gosh, what? Correct. Correct. Wow. <laughs> I know it was a woman too. It was really offensive. Anyway, um, I would say to embrace your impatience. Like, I think it's really so many people, I think, especially because of the way in which I set high standards for myself and other people around me. Um, I think I was constantly being told by, you know, some boss or another, some like parental figure or another, whomever, some advisor or another investor at this point, like Maya, you just need to be patient. Like you just need to be patient. You need to be thoughtful. You need to be patient. And I'm like, you know, I'm incredibly thoughtful. I'm incredibly intuitive. I just make good, quick decisions. And that should actually prove that I'm like a highly capable leader, partner, colleague, you name the area, right? Right. And I think I say that because like becoming comfortable in in that impatience and and like, I think I got in my mid twenties after hearing that kind of feedback time and time again, you start to doubt yourself. You start to say like, well, maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am, or maybe I'm not, I am doing things wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really important to say like, okay, how are you perceived in the world? And where are those misperceptions, right? Like, because what was coming out as impatience to people was actually my own, like my own thoughts of assertion and confidence and like an ability to take a definitive, make a definitive decision or take a definitive side or stance. Um, And I think a lot of people that feel that way or or, or express decision-making in that way um, are actually practicing, I think, skill sets that are beyond what society says a 20 year old should look like and perform like, right? Like we're supposed to kind of cower to others. We're supposed to be um, apologetic in our twenties. We're supposed to just like want exposure to as many things as possible, but be silent on our opinions about those things. You know what I mean? Like we're supposed to learn in our twenties. And I think you do an immense amount of learning, like in your twenties, nobody doesn't, I don't think, especially if you're driven and motivated to succeed, but I don't know. I think just like having more confidence in yourself and taking advice and taking like knowing when to take advice, but also knowing when to not take it to heart. 
Yeah, taking it with a grain of salt. And I think it's funny because um, I'm sure we have similar frameworks uh, or like personality frameworks in a way, because I think, you know, um, you know, myself, I, I'm also very, I've, I've been told I'm, I'm very assertive, can mm-hmm. be come off a little abrasive at times. Um, very, <laughs> very forward. And, and I, and, and especially from, from my heritage too, I'm, I'm Vietnamese and my mom was always like, that was her biggest criticism to me is like, that's too much. And I agree. I think it's like knowing when it's actually applicable, like when that kind of critique is applicable or, or when you need to step back and also knowing that sometimes some people are just not accustomed to having a woman that knows what she wants when she wants it, that kind of thing. And I think it's just kind of reflecting on it as we, that was a big theme of this episode is like we're being able to reflect on is that, how did that make me feel? Like the decisions of what we do in finance and the decisions of what we do in everyday life, like was that aligned with me? <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, one last question that I ask every guest on the show and to probably to no surprise, but what would you say in reflection of everything, what would you say fulfills you in life? I knew you were going to ask this and I still don't have a good answer. For it. <laughs> it's okay. Everyone always says that. Ask, but... <laughs> you know, I think honestly, what fulfills me in life is like, I I'm really grateful that I get to like live out that fulfillment. I mentioned earlier that like my one biggest goal in life is to ensure that no woman comes to me again saying that her spouse um, or her financial partner manages her finances. Like literally every single day when I get like the customer report or the navigator report of the day from from our teams and stuff and I get like highlights, like it's so fulfilling to hear stories of really women, but the app is agnostic, but obviously I lean towards my own gender um, because we're the most left out. It's really fulfilling to hear women come into their own economic power. Mm-hmm. And I recently hosted um, a women's uh, women in wealth investor summit here in my hometown in Somalia. I was partnering with, uh, I run my own family office. I was partnering with a couple of our um, fund manager, one of our big fund managers, Bright Ventures, um, to build basically a new kind of small group um, of really high powered women with huge access to capital, to opportunities, but whom had been kind of relegated to philanthropic areas of their family businesses, or, you know, had kind of just been relegated in general. Yeah. It was so incredibly fulfilling after the weekend, multiple women came back to us saying, I'm now going to go invest in the female economy this way. I've now, you know, I'm changing kind of where I'm allocating some of my money and doing these things because I want to do them. And I know I'm going to be more capable at managing my money than anybody else, because that is the fundamental truth, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody else can be responsible for your health. Like you have to be responsible for your health and every aspect of it. And financial health has to be a part of that conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can everyone learn more about Navit? Where they can find it on social media, the app store, the website, all of that. App store, you can download it from your favorite app store, Navit, N-A-V.it. Um, navitmoney.com is the website and all the social handles are uh, at Let's Navit. So L-E-T-S-N-A-V-I-T. Perfect. And then you can find me on all those things too. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I will link that all in the show notes. Thank you again for joining me today. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me and thank you all for listening. And that was all for today's conversation with Maya, co-founder of Navit. If you are interested in checking out the app and their Instagram and all the links, like I said, it is linked in the show notes. So definitely go check it out. And if you did enjoy this conversation or had a major takeaway, please be sure to let us know by sharing this episode on your Instagram story. And of course, tag the Instagram at what fulfills you and myself at Emily E. Duong. I always love seeing when you guys are tuning in and especially what topics that you guys do enjoy. And as you know, I try to make this podcast as well-rounded as possible, touching on different topics and areas of life that I find that definitely have a big impact on our overall wellness and well-being in our journey to a fulfilled life. 
And lastly, if you have not checked out the latest merch, you can find all of that on the website at whatfulfillsyou.com. The latest merch is the What Fulfills You minimal hat. It's the perfect hat to wear for your coffee run, running errands, your morning walk. I love wearing my hat. If you follow the Instagram, you probably see me posting about it when I'm on my morning walks. So definitely go check it out. A lot of the colors are limited quantity. So once they are sold out, they will not be returning. Thanks again for tuning in to the show. I will chat with you all in the next episode. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.